Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because I'm welcoming a first-time guest to the show. You know him very well from the Dana Buckler show, you know him from Adkins Undisputed, and most recently you know him as one of the hosts of Action for Everyone, the premier action podcast on the internet. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Michael Scott. Hi, Michael. Hi, Patrick. How are you? I am good. How are you? You know, it's the Met Gala, so I am wearing my fanciest gold suit. <laughs> okay, I am. Uh, I got out my duds. I will admit that the gold leaf underwear chafes a bit, but it's worth it. It's worth it for uh, for being on F this movie and uh, celebrating all things rich and powerful. Yes, I went full bear suit, and I feel like it was a mistake. It, it, it'll get itchy. It'll get itchy. Yeah. Shoot. Anyway, um, we are going plus, to you, t- go plus ahead. You're going to have to, if you go full bear suit, you're going to have to go out and start punching small children uh, on your way to a burning, uh, burning deity. You're describing a typical Monday. <laughs> um, we are going to be talking about one Albert Pune's cyborg. And I'm very excited for this because a couple of weeks ago, um, we did a thing where if, if people donated to um, Trans Texas, we said, hey, you can put your name in and maybe we'll do a podcast on uh, a movie that you want us to do. And Michael was kind enough to donate and put in Cyborg. And I was like, well, if I'm going to talk about an Albert Pune movie, there's only one person I want to talk about Pune with, and that's you, Michael Scott. So I'm so glad you're able to do this. Yeah, thank you so much for, for inviting me. You know, obviously, you know, I've been a fan of the show and the entire F this movie fam for years. So I, I am a little like starstruck here, but uh, <laughs> I figure if I'm going to be starstruck, the best way to, to do it is to talk about something that I know, like the back of my hand, which is Albert Pune movies. Yes. I can just lie on the muscle memory to, to get me through. <laughs> and how's everything going at action for everyone, which has like blown up in just the short time that it's been around. Yeah, it's uh it's, it's going great. It's great. We, we definitely have, um, you know, a pretty, it's not the hugest listener base, but man, they are, they are devoted. They are, we have a real consistent listener base. People seem to really enjoy the show. Um, for those who don't know, Action for Everyone is a show I host every week with uh, filmmaker Liam O'Donnell, who directed uh, the Skylines movies and then uh, film writer all around, just brilliant human being, Vice Victus. And it's a really loose show. We don't typically have any, uh, you know, we don't cover like one movie. We sort of talk about the news and then we have like one or two movies, kind of what have we seen and stuff like that. But what we really try and do is focus on bringing light to DTV and lower budget action movies uh, that, that people are missing because that's the genre that we all love. I mean, there's a reason I started doing Adkins Undisputed first is because I, that, I love that genre. And so it's nice to have a couple of other people along for the ride with me. And, uh, and you know, and Liam being an actual working filmmaker, we get a lot of great sort of inside baseball and kind of behind the scenes stuff. I've learned more about like the film, the con film market and stuff than I ever <laughs> thought possible. And it's actually all really fascinating. That's super, super cool. Congratulations on all your success there. Thank you, sir. Well, I do owe it all. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 
bullshitting. I do owe it all to you. I mean, none of this happens if I don't start following F this movie and meet Dana and then springboard from there. So it all you are you are at the circle of this giant Venn like Venn <laughs> this chart of like you know our friends like Daniel Epler and Matt Bledsoe and all these people all have podcasts now and it's all because we all met each other through you. So uh you know we all owe you a massive debt of gratitude. Well that is very kind of you to say and I don't believe it to be true. Belief matters not. <laughs> um, well, let's start the show the way we always start the show, and that is me asking, uh, have you seen anything good lately? I have I have seen good and bad, but I think uh, a handful of things worth talking about. Let's start with the one that I think is kind of the, the one that I'm looking forward to talking about the least, which is I finally just today watched Uncharted. Oh, boy. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I just have heard things. So, you know, so at its foundation, it's really not any worse than uh, the National Treasure movies, except for the fact that instead of having Hurricane Awesome Nicolas Cage in the center, you have uh, Mark Wahlberg <laughs> kid at his most like black hole charisma sucking worst. <sighs> like, he's literally just sleepwalking through this entire role uh i i barely even got any good meme material uh, out of it i i mean i got one i got one good meme where he says i'm literally walking into a papa john's and i i can i can work with that but <laughs> but there's just there's there's so much else that he does that's just i i don't understand it the action scenes are fine there's nothing about the movie that's offensively bad it's just aggressively forgettable is the best way I could explain it. Well, and it was in development for so long, and there were so many different versions of it that by the time we get to this one, it's kind of like, oh, really? This is what we like took years to get to? Yeah, yeah. It's really kind of crazy when you look at the people that were attached to it. You know, at one point, David O. Russell was going to do it. I which, remember that, yeah. Yeah, and, and Sean Levy was going to do it for a while. And, Your boy. And I, yeah, my boy. And, 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 and that was actually running through my brain as I watched it, because I know a lot of people like to hate on Sean Levy. And, and I get why. But uh, I got to tell you, he's a damn sight better than Ruben Fleischer. Uh, <laughs> so I'm watching it thinking, man, Sean Levy would have just done a much better job with this. <laughs> so um, he might have at least gotten because one thing you can say about Levy is he usually gets pretty good performances out of his actors. So he might have actually gotten something out of Wahlberg. Tom Holland's fine. I'm not convinced Tom Holland's the movie star that the world seems to think that he is. Sure. Um, but he's not bad in it, you know, he, and he's trying, he's invested. I mean, it's his big, you know, it's his big non Spider-Man blockbuster starring role. So he's given it his all and he's doing a lot of his own stunts. It looks like, so, you know, I can't begrudge him, but God, every time Wahlberg's on the screen, he just sucks the life out of the movie. I think we're uncharted, bro. Mental health is a myth. Go hunt some treasures, kid. <laughs> uh, I never played the game on which it was based either, so I'm I'm clueless when it comes to Uncharted. That might actually make it better for you. Because, okay. Uh, I I described it to a friend. I've played all the games. I'm a pretty big fan of the games, but I'm not I'm not one of those like video game people that gets all bent out of shape if they change stuff because it's a different medium i mean if i just wanted to watch the game i would just play the game so right that didn't bother me so much except for the fact that it's 
it looks like somebody watched a YouTube video of somebody playing the game to write the script rather than actually just writing the script. Like there's these set pieces that are in it that feel like they're there because they're like, oh, it's uncharted. We have to have Tom Holland doing parkour or we have to have all these things, but they don't really feel like they're sort of logically flowing from the movie. They're just kind of there. They're almost like weird Easter eggs is the best way I can describe it, which is not really how you want the narrative in your movie. <laughs> uh, it's like one of the highest grossing movies of the year. So it's doing pretty well, I guess. Uh, maybe it's, it's early yet. It's just now May. So I'm guessing that by the time, you know, the year is over, it will not be in the top 10, but I, I could be wrong. Yeah. It all kind of, I guess, you know, who knows how any box office goes now, but right, exactly. Certainly, I think Sony's got to be, you know, pretty happy with it. Uh, and so I would expect that a sequel is probably going to be forthcoming. A sequel announcement is probably going to be forthcoming if one hasn't already been announced. And it, it'll be, I don't know, it, it's fine. It's a Sony movie and they've got the exclusive contract with Netflix. So it is going to go to Netflix at some point. It feels like a Netflix movie, like it feels like a Netflix original. So okay. that's like home for it. Um I certainly could not in good conscience encourage anybody to pay the 20 bucks to watch it on VOD that I did. But, uh, you know, I, I suffer for my my uh, my podcast. <laughs> well, and we appreciate it because I will just be waiting for Netflix. <laughs> that is the wise decision. <laughs> did you see that other? I haven't seen it yet. The 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 Mark Wahlberg one um, that was on Paramount Plus. What the hell is it called? Infinite. Infinite. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, so now that on the other hand, now that one, that one is like packed. I mean, it's terrible. It's, it, it's, it's honestly one of the worst big budget action movies I think I've ever seen in my life, but that one is packed to the wall with Wahlberg meme material. He is <laughs> in uncharted. He's just, he is so sleepwalking. You can literally see him counting his like paycheck and, and the beach house he's going to buy with this or the new cryo chamber or whatever the fuck Mark Wahlberg spent money on. <laughs> He's giving he, it to the church, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly it. Uncharted helped him make Father Stew. That's like what that's he, the whole time. He's like, I can't wait until I'm done with this. I can go film Father Stew, kid. <laughs> um, but Infinite, he is in like full, like most like Mark Wahlberg. Hey, bro mode. And it, I, I laughed my ass off the whole time I was watching it because he is just he is having Mark Wahlberg meltdowns. He's freaking out. He he, he stops one like microscopic step short of saying, say hi to your mother for me. <laughs> so in a lot of ways, Infinite actually has more fun, even though it's a much, much worse movie. Right. And I can't recommend anybody watch it at all. Our our good friend, um, James Coddington, uh, the Tony Scott guy, he watched it after I watched it. Uh, and I think it broke him. It literally <laughs> broke him. I, I, he was, he was DMing me as he was watching it, just having a meltdown and questioning reality as he knows it. So it's, you know, it's definitely watch Uncharted first. It's a better movie by any by any measure. All right, good to know. Uh, what else you got? So one of the other ones that I watched um, a little earlier this week is uh, somehow I have. Have do you ever? like Mandela effect that you've seen a movie and you're absolutely positive you've seen a movie and you've even formulated an opinion on said movie. <laughs> you go to rewatch said movie and you're like, Oh shit, I've never even seen this. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, 
that was me this week with 13 hours uh, because uh, the Michael Bay Benghazi movie, because yeah. uh, we even talked about it on Action for Everyone. And I was like, I don't remember anything about it, but I remember not really liking it. And Liam and Vice both loved it. So I'm like, well, all right, I'll rewatch it. Yeah, no, I've never seen that movie. I have no <laughs> idea why I thought that. But that being said, hey, new Michael Bay movie this week for me. And I got to tell you, Patrick, because I remember you and Adam, I think, talking about it when you were talking about Ambulance. Man, it's terrific. It's really, really good. Uh, it, it's actually up there with Ambulance for me in terms of uh, in terms of Michael Bay movies. It, uh, you know, there's so much about Michael Bay doing a Benghazi movie that just feels gross on <laughs> so many <laughs> levels. Uh, but he avoids all of it uh, because, it, and we've talked about this on our show before. That the thing with Bay is. He loves soldiers, but he does not love the military. He does not love the power structures and the systems that send all these guys out there. You know, very much a theme, I think, running that runs through ambulance yeah. uh, as well. Um, and this is all about that. He, he has no interest in the politics of how Benghazi came about. What he's interested in is that for, you know, 48 hours or however long it was, these six guys tried to keep 25 people alive against a, a continuing onslaught of, uh, you know, uh, a siege, essentially. And from that standpoint, man, it is just a gangbuster action flick. I mean, it just really, it is Bay, I think, at his best. You know, a lot of the shaky cam stuff that I've heard people complain about ambulance, that none of that's there. Everything's clear. Um, it looks gorgeous. John Krasinski and uh, especially James Badgedale are just terrific. I, I really don't know how I Mandela affected A, that I had seen it, and B, <laughs> that I didn't like it, because it's, a, it's an absolutely ridiculous position for me to take. <laughs> this is still the only uh, Bay movie that I have not seen. And I think it was because... I had that same opinion of like, oh, that just sounds gross. I think I'm going to avoid that. Even though I'm like, I'm down for John Krasinski action hero, but I was not prepared for Michael Bay doing Benghazi. Um, but your recommendation has absolutely convinced me to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really uh, was surprised at how, how much it's not gross i mean right it's still a michael bait movie so it's still gross and and uh it does have also the the always great pablo schreiber uh you know basically uh owning every role he's in just like he does in den of thieves he's he's just absolutely terrific in this too so the acting alone i think makes it uh, uh kind of a must watch and then you throw bay doing just terrific action um you know it's a movie where a lot of it takes place at night and bay lights everything so well that you never lose any sense of what's going on or or anything like that um so yeah i i definitely think it's i mean it's still you know, I know when last like last year when one shot came out, which I'm a uh, the Scott Adkins one shot, which I'm a big fan of. A lot of people were like, I don't know if I feel like watching movies about soldiers in this day and age. And right, I totally right. respect that. And that's a perfectly reasonable take to have on the movie. Uh, if that is a, a problem, then, you know, it's not going to be for everybody. But in terms of if you're worried about it being this super jingoistic. Right. Who raw you know, basically Ben Shapiro type movie. It's not that at all. I don't think, I, I think it's just very much a story of a bunch of soldiers just trying to get through a couple of days, uh, 
and, and keep people alive. Uh, so it works like effectively as that. What was the Clint Eastwood one on the train? Oh yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? That was like the same thing that I, I skipped that one for the same reason, the three sixteen to Paris or what the hell was it? Something like that. I have three ten to Yuma stuck in my head. And I, obviously I know it's not that, but I can't, I can't the fifteen sixteen I think to Paris is what it is. Cause I okay. think it was in, it was in European time, but yeah, I know exactly what one you're talking about. And I, yeah, the fifteen seventeen, we were off by one to Paris. Ah, damn it. Um, and that was another one that I, and I remember the big, the big hook on that one was like, no professional actors. These are real soldiers. And I was like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, so I also have not seen that one. Um, but I, I totally want to check out 13 hours. Yeah. It's streaming on Paramount plus if you've got it. So, I mean, it's an easy, it's easy to, easy to watch and, or, you know, if you already own it, but yeah, I, I think it's worth, and just even as a, as a, if you're even remotely a Bay completionist, uh, which, you know, I thought I was until I realized I hadn't seen this one. Um, I, I think it's one that everybody that likes Bay owes it to themselves to watch. If you've suffered through some of the Transformers movies, you really owe it to yourself to watch 13 hours just to remind <laughs> yourself. That was the thing I loved about Ambulance was watching it and just being like, oh, right. I do love Michael Bay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just realized I, I Mandela affected right just now because I didn't see Transformers the last night. So there's two Michael Bay movies I haven't seen. It's certainly you want to watch 13 hours first. I mean, yes. last, night, last night's bananas. So from that, <laughs> but it, to me, last night is almost everything that, you know, it's like the worst of Bay and, and 13 hours almost feels kind of like ambulance did too. They both sort of feel like he's purging, the Transformers movies from his system. He's he's trying to find his center and find his focus yeah. again um, because they play very well together thematically and, and kind of in, in that regard. Uh, and they're broken up by the last night, which is OK. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I, I, my, I have at least one movie on my to watch list. I don't. I still don't have Paramount Plus, uh, but there's finally like enough Star Trek shows that I think I just need to subscribe to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good value. I I don't you know I don't watch it a ton, but it's a it's a pretty good value. Um, you know they've got the new Halo show, which again, speaking of Pablo Schreiber, um, is entertaining enough. You know, it's one of those. I do this a lot, like most people do with streaming services. You subscribe for a month or two, and then you drop it, and then you pick it back up. Or, you know, more realistically, you forget to drop it. Uh, right. And then, you know, six months later, you're like, oh, shit, I just gave Paramount, like, $50. But whatever. Um, but there's enough. They've got a pretty good selection of – for me, they got a pretty good selection of action movies. they got some good Jackie Chan movies on there and stuff. So nice. it's worth it's worth checking out, I think. Okay. Yeah. I, I absolutely need to. All right. You've sold me. Um, uh, what else? So, uh, the, I, the, the last one that I think I want to talk about, and I did, I did talk about it on action for everyone, but I kind of want to bring it up here because I think it's important. It's an interesting movie to talk about, which is I watched, uh, the new Barry Levinson movie, the survivor Ooh, on HBO okay. Max. Um, right. you remember when like a Barry Levinson movie would have been a big freaking deal and not something I found out about the day <laughs> before it dropped on HBO Max. 
I think I only knew Barry Levinson directed it because I saw you something. I saw you tweet something to that effect. Like, how did I not know there was a new Barry Levinson movie that just showed up on HBO Max? I would never have known he had anything to do with it. Yeah, yeah, no, it. it I had no idea. I, I actually saw Matt um, Matt Zoller Seitz's review. He posted his review on on RogerEbert.com and tweeted it out. And I was like, "What the hell is this?" And I'm like, "A new Barry Levinson movie with Ben Foster, and it's a." boxing movie set during the holocaust and like i'm just finding out about this now so yeah so i came home friday after work and, and immediately dove into it and um it's a far from perfect movie uh but it's got a very obviously a very decent sized budget um and uh levinson's he he's he's directing it like he's a kind of rejuvenated like i feel like his time in tv has maybe uh rejuvenated him a little bit because it's got a lot of verve it's 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 a, it's a very straightforwardly shot movie it's not going to be confused with a michael bay movie but hmm. it just feels like it's directed by a much younger man um for those who who don't know the, the plot is ben foster plays this uh based on a true story this guy named harry half who uh as a as a polish prisoner uh, as a polish jew in a concentration camp it, he's taken under the wing of this nazi played by uh billy magnuson the incredibly punchable billy magnuson <laughs> and uh and uh is forced to basically fight other jews uh, essentially to the death in boxing matches so that Billy Magnuson can make money on the side. And then when he escapes from the camp and the war ends, he tries to make a go of it as an actual professional boxer culminating in uh, fighting Rocky Marciano. Um, it's, it's a heavy movie, but Levinson kind of keeps it light because he blends this sort of Holocaust drama with this sports drama, with this sort of Rocky-esque sports drama because he flashes back and forth to the camp and then to like Ben Foster training and, and stuff like that. And I mean, it's got Danny DeVito and uh, John Leguizamo in it and uh, and it's just a tremendous cast. It's not perfect. It's not a movie that's necessarily going to blow you away, but it is as we always, you know, as you always talk about, I talk about all the time too. It is an honest-to-God mature movie for adults yeah with a big budget an incredibly talented filmmaker i personally think ben foster is currently one of the best in the business in terms of actors i think he is just always terrific and at, least, at a minimum always interesting to watch sometimes he goes a little over the top but he's always interesting to watch um and so to me it's like even though the movie's not perfect it's good and it's something we should you know, people should be checking out because everybody always says they want these kind of movies. And then you literally have one being beamed into your living room. And, and a lot of people are just not even going to watch it or not even going to pay attention to it. Yeah, it's I, I mean, do you think part of that is just that we're all victims of content overload to the point where we don't know when these things are showing up? I think it's twofold. I think one, that is absolutely 100% true. I mean, I, even I, I'm like, I can't keep up with everything, but two, these streaming services, they do not promote their shit to save their lives. I mean, if this had been a, you know, if this was came out 20 years ago, this would have gotten a December release. It, It did. It played TIFF. This is a TIFF movie. Um, this is a Toronto International Film Festival movie, and 
it would have played TIFF. It would have gotten a December release. There would have been a huge marketing blitz for it. A lot of four-year considerations. Barry Levinson for best director. Ben Foster for best actor. You know, whether the movie is that good or not, it right. still would have been that. And people would have had buzz about it. We would have been people would have been thinking about it and stuff. And instead it just, I find out on Twitter on Thursday that this is dropping on Friday on HBO max, you know? And, and I think that's the problem is, yeah, this stuff just flies under a lot of people's radars because these streaming services are really bad at marketing. And if they, even if they are good at marketing, they only market for like a week, right? you know, Netflix only markets their shit for like a week and then they move on to the next thing. And so stuff just gets, gets buried. Um, which is why I wanted to bring it up because I, I do think it's a movie that people should check out. I think it's not perfect. I think you could, if to me, it's a solid, like three and a half star movie. It's an Oscar bait movie that doesn't quite hit it, but it's riding on the shoulders of Ben Foster and, Again, a new Barry Levinson movie. Watch a new Barry Levinson movie. Like, it's yeah. a new Barry Levinson movie. Yeah, it's, you know, I, as much as we all feel overloaded by not just content, but, but by, like, voices, you know, trying to drown each other out, I appreciate people like yourself, like, because how else would I have known that this movie existed how else would I know that I'm supposed to watch it? Like I'm thankful for podcasts and for some social media, like filtering out some of the noise and pointing me in the direction of some of this stuff, because the streaming services themselves certainly aren't doing it. Yeah, no, they're, they're not, you know, you, you spend, I mean, I spend all this time kind of diving through stuff just because that's, that's part of what we have to do on our podcast is I have to keep up because so much, action stuff just goes straight to streaming now so i'm always keeping up on it and but even then it is there is a little bit of like i don't know there is there is some fun in just being like oh i i totally have a new barry levinson movie that doesn't cost me a single thing to watch Mm -hmm. and it may not be good but there is some fun in just being able to be like yeah let's do it because i know you know you and i are are the same in this regard of i always hear you talking about you know Every weekend you went and saw basically every new release, you know, and I I used to be the same. I I don't go to the theater nearly as much anymore for a variety of reasons. But um, and now it's like I do still kind of try and do that. But it's when I was buying tickets to these movies, every new release, I just I didn't care what the movie was. I just wanted to go see a movie. And now I feel like I'm so much pickier. And I try and break myself of that habit because the survivor was not an upbeat movie. It's not like a, and, and part of me was like, do I even really want to watch this? And I'm like, idiot, it's a new Barry Levinson movie. Yes, you fucking want to watch it. (laughs) Just click play and watch the goddamn movie. Um, and so when I do that and something turns out to be good like this one, yeah, I do, I do really try and boost and amplify it because I, I want other people to check it out. Yeah. In 2002, this is a movie that I absolutely would have gone to see at the theater. And now, like you said, it's like I can stream it in my living room and I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's so, we're so spoiled. It's so counterintuitive, right? But I'm the exact same way, but it is so counterintuitive. Like <laughs> because there's so many other options, you know, it's like do I watch this movie on HBO Max? Do I watch the new thing on Netflix? Do I subscribe to Paramount Plus and start watching one of the eight new Star Trek shows? Do I click over to Shutter and watch Joe Bob that I missed on Friday? Do I choose one of my thousands of Blu-rays? You know, it's like in 2002 I didn't have all these choices and now I do. So it's like, I really have to 
force myself sometimes to watch something that I know I should watch, you know, particularly like in this case, I think it's the, the heaviness of the subject matter that is a little bit like, all right, I probably have to force myself to click play on this, even though I know I should, because as you said, it's a new Barry Levinson movie. It's got Ben Foster. It's good. There's all these reasons why I absolutely should watch it. I just will have to force myself a little bit. Yeah, that's how I, it's one of those movies that it almost, again, the thought of watching it almost feels like homework, but it's not, it's not homework. The movie, the movie flows much more, uh, gracefully than that uh but yeah i i no, i i hear what you're saying it's and, and it's one of those things too where because there is so much i don't i don't know if you're this way but i find myself when i don't like a movie now i start i used to go to the theater and i'd watch a movie and i didn't like it and i'd be like well that sucked uh but whatever on to the next one right mm-hmm. walk out to the lobby buy a ticket for whatever the next movie is and now I actually start to get kind of mad because I'm like, my time is limited and there is so much shit that I'm so (laughs) mad. I just wasted two hours on whatever this may be uh, that I didn't enjoy. Or if you're like me and you watched a certain three hour recent comic book movie twice, mad that you wasted six hours (laughs) watching something that you didn't like, Um, you know, and, and I have to remind myself to not do that because the fun is the experiment. The fun is the journey. And sometimes sometimes it's going to be a miss. Sometimes you're going to watch something and it's just going to not be great. Sometimes right. you're going to watch Uncharted and have to deal with uh, Mark Wahlberg Hutton Treasure, kid. But <laughs> it's fine. That's the game we play. And I always have to remind myself of that. But I have to remind myself, too, that when I have something like The Survivor, I should watch that and not feel bad or guilty i should be happy to watch something like that right as i watch so much crap so often (laughs) you know uh yeah i recently spent 60 minutes watching attack of the 50 foot cam girl so i know where you're coming from uh at least it was only an hour long that's the best i can say about it it's my boy winorski right it sure is um you know i I, I am long on record as thinking Deathstalker 2 is one of the funniest, greatest movies of all time. But boy, he's, how... made, he's made two good movies, that and Chopping Mall. I think yeah. are, that's it. Yeah, but boy, how do you does Winorski make a lot of bad movies? Yes, like unwatchably bad. And now it, it's just it's barely a movie. Whatever. We don't need to talk about Attack of the 50 Foot Cam Girl. The people at Full Moon were nice enough to send me a screening link. And I thought I should watch this. I write a column about Full Moon movies. And then I was like, I'm not going to write about this one. <laughs> yeah, I you know, that's actually something I, I, I took from you and we try and do on on our show is um, there have been several weeks where we've all planned on talking about a movie, have watched it and have gone. No, we're not going to yeah. talk about this because especially for Liam, because, you know, as a working filmmaker, it gets real dicey if he starts talking shit on movies. Sure. Right? Because he never knows whether that filmmaker or that producer is going to be listening. So, uh, but I always take that from you too, of like, no, I don't, I don't need to spend time shitting on a movie. Um, I think the worst we got was the uh, Johnny Strong, Marcos Aurora movie, Invincible, that was absolutely terrible. And the only reason I talked about it was because I knew our listeners wanted to see that movie. And so I sort of felt obligated to let them know right. it's, it's not good. Like, save your money. Don't don't rent it. Um, but that was the only reason I even talked about it. I didn't want to 
spend too much time just shitting on it. Right. Uh, speaking of shitting on a movie, uh, I finally saw The Batman. <laughs> you teed that up very nicely just a moment ago. <laughs> well played on my part. <laughs> this is an instance where I didn't get out to the theater to see it because it came out the weekend of F This Movie Fest, and then we all got COVID, and then some other stuff came out that I wanted to see and I knew it was coming to HBO max at a certain point, And I finally was just like, I'm just going to wait and watch it on HBO max. And I did. And I can't for the life of me, like this is an instance where I'm just really second guessing myself because the movie didn't really work for me. And I keep finding all these excuses. I keep thinking like, well, it's cause I watched it at home on HBO max instead of in the theater. Well, it's because I'm a little burned out on, Batman movies and like just telling this story over and over again. Well, it's because, because obviously I can point to like, it looks good. It's well shot when you can see what's in the frame. The score by Michael Giacchino is awesome. Um, I like the cast, even though I don't necessarily love what everyone's asked to do. Uh, Zoe Kravitz for me was probably the standout. Um, and I'm trying to figure out why this movie didn't work for me when I've seen so many people champion it, not only as the best Batman movie, but one of the best movies of the year. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Cause I kind of know how you feel about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, there's absolutely nothing in it that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Um, it, it, it just feels like, so one of the things that, that I've kind of gotten into it with, because I've got some very good friends that, that love this movie, and we certainly haven't had fights over it, but we, we have had gentlemanly disagreements over it. Because for me, one of the things that makes Batman so great is, as a character, is you can drop him into any genre, any type of story, and he works. And for some reason the movies are obsessed with grim dark batman and mm -hmm. they keep going grim darker and it's it's like this one is just to me it's like after you know and i actually am a defender of the Zack snyder batman movies especially his cut of justice league i friggin loved that, yeah, that was not good. a snyder not a snyder bro but <laughs> you sound like a snyder bro <laughs> <laughs> hashtag restore the snipe. Uh, <laughs> but this one to me was just so it absolutely feels so ponderous in everything that it does. Uh, so much of this movie is Batman walking slowly at things. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned the Michael Giacchino score for you thought was great for me. I I love Michael Giacchino. I think his Star Trek scores are some of our uh, modern cinematic like score masterpieces. This to me was the same five bomb 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 notes over and over and over again for three hours, and I just felt punished <laughs> by the score by the end of it. Um, it just I don't know. It, I, I'm with you. Obviously, the weight of the world is uh, leaning one way on this movie. And this is one of those movies where I sometimes talk about where I watch it and I feel like a crazy person because I feel yeah. like I watched a completely different movie than everybody else. Because I, I saw it in the theater. Um, I got up 
three times during the movie, uh, twice to pee, once to to go outside to further my disgusting habit, and uh, <laughs> uh, which is my my new my new rating system for movies is is my dart schedule. How many how many smoke breaks do I have to take during a movie? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, but then when it dropped on HBO Max, because my wife Kelsey didn't go see it with me in the theater, when it dropped on HBO Max, we watched it again, and I liked it better at home because it didn't feel so oppressively long to me. Uh, but I still, all my same complaints still apply. I just I don't understand what this brings new to the table. And one of the things everybody says, oh, it's nice to see Batman be a detective again. He doesn't detect shit in this movie. <laughs> he is behind the eight ball from minute one and never catches up in this movie. This is not the world's greatest detective at all in this movie. Well, it's weirdly structured like a mystery, but the whole time we know the answer is the Riddler. And I wasn't really into this take on the Riddler because um, it's very kind of jigsaw-y and I wasn't super on board with the this particularly dark take on the Riddler. Colin Farrell seems to be having fun and I love Colin Farrell but I just don't it just seems like one too many elements in a movie that already is kind of overstuffed yeah, and why Colin Farrell? I mean, I love Colin Farrell, but why? Like, there's actual, right? You know, overweight men that can be actors. Right. Why? Why? Why Colin Farrell? You know? Yeah, I I have no idea. Just to show off what they can do with makeup, I guess. And uh, and I'm with you. I think Zoe Kravitz. I think Pattinson's actually good. I mean, I yeah. think he's he's good. And and Zoe Kravitz is is great. Although I will say, I still think. If I'm going to watch a Zoe Kravitz movie from this year, it's going to be Kimmy because she is tremendous in yeah. Kimmy. Yeah, Kimmy rules. Yeah. Um, I, I just – everything about this movie I've seen done before, everything, performances, storyline, everything I've seen done before and better. And you know, you mentioned the Riddler as as Vice on my show said, why does Paul Dano always look and sound like he just finished jacking off? And this is like the <laughs> epitome <laughs> of that <laughs> like like the whole movie he's just every time he talks it sounds like he just he just got done makes him batch and so yeah i i'm with you patrick you, you, this is this was the good week for you to watch it because you are you are not alone on this one yeah i just i feel broken for not liking it more i like matt reeves i like the people involved i i was on board for what i thought was going to be like a great new batman movie and then i'm watching it and i'm like oh i might be burned out on batman movies because it feels like like an extension of sort of the Christopher Nolan universe. And I'm just, maybe I'm just not into that take anymore or right now the headspace I'm in. I don't know what it is. I keep, like I said, I keep making excuses for why I didn't like it, but maybe it's just not for me. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel, you know, Hey, people like it and, and that's great for them, but it, it's not, you know, I'm at the point now where I, I want to start seeing the bat. I want to see the Robins and I want to see Batgirl and I don't want brooding loner Batman. And that's just really what it boils down to is sort of, I guess, hashtag not my Batman. Um, <laughs> and, and that's fine. Like people like it. It's a big success. Great for everybody involved. But it's yeah, I, I did the same thing you did. I twisted myself into a pretzel trying to figure out what I was missing. And after watching it a second time, I, I realized I'm not missing anything. I just think that it's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also saw one of my most anticipated movies of the year, and that is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Have you had a chance to see that yet? 
No, I was supposed to go last weekend and I, I couldn't I just couldn't get the time to do it. But I, I, I'm dying to see it. I cannot wait to see it. Yeah, it's super entertaining. I mean, as a giant Nicolas Cage fan, it's super entertaining. I don't know how great of a movie it is. Like, there's a first half that's very much kind of just a fun hangout movie with him and Pedro Pascal just, like, fucking around. And that's really great and really enjoyable. And the second half, it tries to turn into more of a movie. And I was not quite as on board with the second half of the movie. But just, again, as a super Nicolas Cage fan, I, I had a really good time with it. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? It, it's it's a it's a it's a Nick victory lap. And uh, boy, does he deserve it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I am as you know, I am I am maybe the world's biggest Firebirds fan. So, you are, uh, in fact. <laughs> and so I, I am uh, I, I am with you on the Nicolas Cage love. And so I, I do want to see it at this point. Now, it's been out a couple of weeks. I'll probably just wait for VOD. But I I'm I'm very excited to actually check it out um, because I, I'm not going to see it next weekend because, you know, new Sam Raimi movies. So right. uh, that takes priority. But um, but, yeah, no, I'm that that's I was actually really interested in your thoughts on it because I know Nick's your favorite actor. Yeah. So if you, you know, my dad always used to say this about action movies to me. If I liked an action movie, he might like it. But if I didn't like an action movie, then he was guaranteed to hate it. I feel (laughs) that way about you with Nicolas Cage movies. Like I might not agree with you on ones you like, but if you don't like one, then I know there's no chance I'm going to like it. So I, I'm I'm glad to know that this one is a, a positive for you, even if it doesn't totally work. Yeah, it's again, it's it, it's it's just uh, I hate to reduce stuff to like I had fun because I feel like a lot of times that stops the conversation because you can't argue with somebody's sense of fun, you know, but like I really did enjoy myself watching it. I can critique the movie all I want, but I truly just don't even feel like it because I'm like, no, why, why, why would I want to take away the enjoyment of watching Nicolas Cage fuck around for 90 minutes, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That was kind of how I felt when I went to go see Everything Everywhere all at once. I was, uh, I went into that one with my teeth bared a little bit because I was not a Swiss Army Man fan. Me and, either. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the damn movie won me over and I, I could still complain about stuff in that movie, but it's like, why, why, why rain on that, that parade, right. you know? Right. Uh, besides it, it, it demonstrated that audiences want multiverses. That's all anybody wants now is the multiverse. It's we're all about the multiverse, Patrick. In fact, right now there is a, a multiverse version of you and me that are talking about, uh, I don't know, Jet Li's the one or something. Ooh, you know, it just is. I like that movie. Wait, no, I don't like that movie. <laughs> Do I like that movie? I confused it with uh, Unleashed for a second. It depends on what multiverse you're in. Oh, yeah. Good point. In a multi and there's there's a multiverse where you like it and a multiverse where you don't. The one does have Carla Gugino. And there's a rule that any movie with Carla Gugino is better than any movie without Carla Gugino. So I am 100% pro the one. So I'm going to agree with you. I'm also 100% pro Carla Gugino. So I am going to agree with you on all fronts. I haven't seen the one since the theater, to be fair. It is the most 2000s movie that's ever. (laughs) I am due for a revisit. Um, But let us move into our discussion of Cyborg here at the uh, 42 minute mark. (laughs) Um, I'm excited to talk about this movie. This was, I think, my introduction 
to both Albert Pune and Jean-Claude Van Damme in 1989 because I will blaspheme right now and say that I'm not much of a blood sport guy. I'm not much of a kickboxer guy. Cyborg was my jam. I was like, oh, this is my movie and this is my guy. Um, and I believe it was my first Albert Pune because I can't think of what he would have made before then that I would have seen. Uh, this was the first one that I had big access to. Um, and of course, I mean, the backstory on this movie is crazy. You know, Canton wanted to do a sequel to Masters of the Universe. Uh, then they were going to do Spider-Man and both of those fell through, but they had already put like something like 2 million into sets and costumes. And so they had Albert Pune, basically they gave him a weekend to write a script for a movie that would use those sets and those costumes. And he came up with uh, a movie called Slinger which was then later recut into Cyborg by Van Damme and Sheldon Lettich. Uh, both of us watched both versions of this movie. That's how dedicated we are to talking about this fucking movie, uh, that we both watched Cyborg and Slinger. Um, how did you come across a copy of Slinger, if I can ask? So there's actually a new, uh, relatively new Spanish Blu-ray. There was a for years there was a German Blu-ray that's gone out of print, but there's actually a relatively new Spanish Blu-ray set uh, that is basically the Shout Factory remaster of Cyborg. It's got all the same special features and stuff, and then that German blue of Slinger. Um, so you know the really hatcheted together version yeah uh, all in all in one set it comes with some really nice lobby cards and or postcards and and stuff uh, i got it on ebay for like 30 bucks 25 30 bucks um nice and it's i think it's region free i can't remember i've got a region free player so i didn't pay attention but i i think it actually is region free but um yeah so that's how because i had wanted to see slinger for years and i'd never i never pulled the trigger on that german blue and uh i i missed the window where you could get it free from albert's website um and i never pulled the trigger on that german blue and then it went out of print i was like damn it and then <laughs> i i saw this new spanish blue and i was like oh shit well i'm just gonna when you reached out to me i'm like well fuck i'm i've got to watch slinger now i can't not watch i can't come into this unprepared <laughs> i was fortunate enough to see a theatrical screening of slinger a couple years ago um uh early 2010s i guess they did uh here in chicago they did an albert pune triple feature they showed the slinger cut uh, then they showed the director's cut of Nemesis, and then they showed Road to Hell, his Streets of Fire sequel, and Albert was there in person with his wife, Cynthia, and they were working the merch table, and he was taking video of the whole thing. This was six months, maybe, before his diagnosis, and um, I bought a triple-featured DVD from his wife of Slinger. Uh, Nemesis director's cut before that was widely available on that MVD Blu-ray and then uh, Mean Guns in proper 235 widescreen Oh also, you son of a bitch I know it's like a prized possession of mine believe me <laughs> so, um, so that's how I was able to see Slinger and watching it today which was probably only the second time I've watched the Slinger cut it's almost impossible to really comment on because as you said it's so pasted together that it's like barely a coherent movie yeah i mean it it really you know 
I, I had somebody when I watched it because I was tweeting about it as I, as I was watching it. And I had somebody ask me what the differences were. And I'm like, how do you even start? Because every 10 seconds, I mean, every shot, every scene is edited differently. Right. Like it, it's narratively, it's actually not that different of a movie. It's pretty similar. But the shot selection, the angles, the the things that they do, uh, it's happening constantly throughout the movie. And, and so you can't really just say like, oh, well, there's uh, this whole extra subplot or there's this or that. It's kind of like, nah, it's a different movie, man. You just need to watch it. Right. Uh, but it's it's an unpleasant watch because of how it's, you know, you're going from really pristine, at least on the version I have, you're going from really pristine 1080p remastered Blu-ray footage to VHS footage and back and forth, you know, sometimes 10 times in a minute. And so it's, it's pretty punishing on the eyes to watch. I think my copy looks like shit the whole time, which is nice. Uh, it is in the wrong aspect ratio. So it's in two, three, five when the movie is not in two, three, five. Um, and there are some differences like, the pirates are Satan worshippers in the Slinger Cut. Um, there's no plague. They're trying to restore electricity, like power. Um, there are changes like that. And, and then anytime there's an actor not on screen, there's like voiceover uh, that's supposed to be their dialogue. But it's all recorded by different actors because it was done after the fact. So it's like... I can't really judge it. I mean, based on the slinger cut that I saw, it's certainly an interesting curiosity and I'm glad to have it. And I'm glad to be able to see it. I wish that Albert Pion had been able to complete his vision in 1988, 1989, and that that was the version that came out. But between the two, I will say I kind of prefer the theatrical cut of cyborg. Yeah. I, uh, I, I do like the I like the the Slinger score. I think the Slinger score with I am drawing a blank on the composer's name, but it's Tony Ripperetti, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and he worked with Pune all through his career. Yeah, I really like that Slinger score. Um, the the Flesh Pirates being Satanist did nothing for me. The thing that I do like about Slinger is I like the uh, I think the ending. You know, I guess spoilers for both cyborg and slinger yeah the that's ending, all right <laughs> the ending where you know it's a much darker ending yeah uh and then it ties into the nemesis you know it ties it into the nemesis universe which if you know you know pune made this the, he kind of took his nemesis script and sort of hatcheted it into cyborg when he got the opportunity to make cyborg and then kind of redid nemesis um and so the fact that it ties it into the nemesis universe i i i enjoyed but i i'm with you i don't if if we could have seen slinger in 1988 or 89 and 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 seen what the movie actually looks like right um it would be one thing but there's really no way to say that the theatrical cut isn't better i mean slinger is barely a movie it's a curiosity it's, exactly it's, yeah 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 so yours has that weird terminator ending also yep yep okay it does it does, <laughs> it does. and then uh yeah with the promo for coming soon cyborg nemesis that yeah. unfortunately we never got because of uh uh albert's uh health issues but right. uh yeah it, it that's how it ends 
Oh boy, it's something. I did not remember that as I was watching it today. I was like, what the fuck is this? And then I remember, oh right, this is the tie-in to Nemesis. So was this your introduction to Albert Pune as well? It actually wasn't. I uh, I had parents who were very loosely, uh, let's just say they were very flexible on what movies I could watch growing up. And so uh, this was the first one where his his name meant something to me in terms of I like Cyborg. I'm going to remember the guy that directed this. Uh, but I actually saw The Sword and the Sorcerer probably way too young. Uh, <laughs> so that would have been my first Albert Pune movie. Um, and I loved it. But at that point, when I saw The Sword and the Sorcerer, I was too young to even know the directors were a thing. And when Cyborg came out, that's when I started paying attention to directors' names because it's like, oh, if I like this movie and this guy directed this movie, I'll probably like this. You know, I, I remember that was one of the reasons I was excited to see uh, Kickboxer 2 is I was like, oh, hey, it's the guy that directed Cyborg. It's a sequel to Kickboxer, but it's the guy that directed Cyborg. So I'll probably like this. And I did. But yeah, uh, yeah so it was it was really the sword and the sorcerer. But this was the first time that Pune was a name that meant something to me. OK. Side note, what we live in a crazy world right now, because today I was I was writing a piece about um, heavy metal and I was reminiscing about all the years that I couldn't see heavy metal. It was like I, my brother had a bootleg because it was not commercially available, I'm assuming because of music licensing. And now there's a 4K of heavy metal, and you just brought up the Sword and the Sorcerer, and now you can watch the Sword and the Sorcerer in 4K from Shout Factory. And it's like, what a glorious time we're living in where Albert Pune movies are getting 4K restorations. Yeah, it's unreal, right? Like, it's absolutely unreal to me. And yet so many of his movies are still completely unavailable. It's a weird best of times, worst of times because yeah. we've got, we got that great shout factory version of cyborg that looks beautiful. Uh, and 88 films in the UK basically use that same master for their version. We got the 4k of the sword and the sorcerer. Yeah. We still can't fucking see radioactive dreams legally. I like once every six months, I like tweet to vinegar syndrome, just hoping that they'll get their hands on it. Especially once they got into the MGM vault, I was like, well, surely radioactive dreams is forthcoming now. Uh, but still nothing. Yeah. And, and the other one for me that just burns me to no end is heat seeker uh that is one of my absolute favorite pune movies and i still have i'm holding on like i still have my laser disc player i still have all of my laser discs and i am not lying to say that like 90 percent of that is because i have heat seeker <laughs> that was one of the reasons i was holding on to mine because i had brain smasher on laser disc but now i've got that german blue so yeah, I need to pick that up. I, I saw I saw when you got that, and I'm like, damn it, I need to get that one. It's good. Um, so back to Cyborg. Um, so this was not your introduction to Albert Pune, and I'm guessing you were a much more of a blood sport and kickboxer guy than I was. Uh, so Van Damme was probably already on your radar. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Van Damme was on my radar with blood sport, and then... Um, I can't remember if I saw Kickboxer first or Cyborg first, but either way, it was about the same time. Um, and, you know, I mean, and at that point, I was all in. I, I just, I, I love all three of those movies. Um, I've always said of, of all the, you know, sort of 80s, 90s action stars, you know, Van Damme was always my guy. I, and he still is to a certain extent. Um, I, I'm never not going to 
watch a Van Damme movie. I'm never not going to enjoy his presence in this uh, or in anything. And this one was one where, yeah, I was, I was all in. Uh, I, I, I remember renting this and watched it. Um, and I was, I didn't like it as much as Bloodsport or Kickboxer at the time. I, I think I, I still don't like it as much as those two now, but obviously it's also a very different movie. I, I kind of, one of the things I love about Pune is Pune movies are Pune movies. The, you don't really compare them to other movies. Right? <laughs> all, all you can really do is compare them to other Pune movies. And uh, and as far as Pune movies go, I still think this one is is just it's top notch stuff. He had a decent budget. I mean, by most movie standards, he had no budget, but by Pune standards, he had a decent budget. And so what he was able to do with it, and I loved rewatching it. What I noticed most was just how much. Van Damme was already fully formed. Like, this is maybe his most amateur performance in any of his movies. And yet he still feels like Van Damme. He still feels fully formed and just has it. When you're watching him in this movie, especially scenes where he's like, you know, just the ones where he's just like walking towards somebody to fight them. And he's just got that stone cold determination on his face. You're just like, yeah, this fucking guy has it. Yeah, man. And it's so fun to go back and watch now, knowing, you know, uh, sad old Van Damme that he's become. It's fun to watch young and, and vigorous Van Damme again. Yeah, he's, you know, kind of uh, doing the archetypal Western hero in this movie, because it's very much a, an apocalyptic Western. Um, and it's a hard movie to recommend to people, to your point about, you know, Albert Pune movies being Albert Pune movies, it's a hard movie sometimes for me to recommend to people because every once in a while I'll go on Twitter and I'll see people talking shit about it. And I don't jump in because I just, life is too short. Um, but I just feel like, oh, you kind of have to train yourself to watch movies like this. And this is, you know, one of Pune's more accessible and commercial movies, obviously, in part because of the edits that Van Damme and Sheldon Lettich made. Uh, they made it a more sort of straightforward, streamlined action movie um, than the bizarro sort of whatever the fuck Slinger was going to be. Um, but it is still in that weird Albert Pune way. I, I was rereading something that I wrote a long time ago about it, and I referred to it as like some sort of post-apocalyptic tone poem. And that is so, kind of true in that like, there's long gaps where nothing happens and it's just kind of silent and you just kind of have to meditate on what's happening on screen. And then out of nowhere, a fight breaks out and then it's back. To, you know, it's not like a propulsive narrative in that sense, even though in terms of the script, it is, it's like, we have to get from point A to point B. We have to get this person to this place. Very straightforward, but he never takes the straightforward path, which is one of the things that I love about him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I I've got a friend that's got a going to watch Nemesis for a podcast, and I I this is what I always say when I recommend Albert Pian movies to people is like, look, you you have got to let go of what you think a movie should be, especially right. when it comes to things like narrative coherence <laughs> and that and that sounds that sounds like i'm being insulting, but I'm not. It's just that Pune is all about the vibes, man. Yeah. He just he fills in his movies and you just have to sort of sit back and let that 
wash over you as you're watching them. And like you said, this is one of his most accessible. You know, you start getting into some of his later stuff, like Nemesis 4. You're just like, yeah, I, I'm just going to pretend that I'm watching a fever dream. Here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think it's – but that's what sets him apart. That's what makes him so interesting here is because he's also so – a spot on it at spotting talent and and hooking talent up. I mean, he makes Van Damme look incredible in yeah. this movie. Um, he makes Olivier Gruner look incredible in Nemesis. Like he he knows how to hook his stars up, and he's also I, I tweeted out that shot uh, the shot of Van Damme doing the splits right before he kills Best of the Best to Ralph Moeller, and that fucking shot has stayed with me since 1989, man. That thing is gorgeous on so many levels. Everybody complains about how flat MCU movies look and modern movies look. And it's like Albert Pune's out there doing that 30 years ago, you know, just making something look amazing. Um, and so it is one of those things where you have to, I love that you said that you have to train yourself to watch his movies, but once you're on the vibe with him, Man, there's so much joy to be pulled out of this one, uh, and, and so many of his other movies that that you know they really are a treat. They're really he's a special filmmaker. I think. Yeah his his '80s run, in particular, is like so my jam. I like a lot of his '90s stuff, and he he loses me a little in like the 2000s because, like I said, um. Oh, I already forgot the name of it. Road to Hell. You know, it, part of the problem is that it's a sequel to a movie that I hold very, very dear to my heart, which is Streets of Fire. And Road to Hell isn't totally my jam, but his 80s run especially is like filled with nothing but bangers. Um, I think it's so interesting that you talk about him pulling these great or really knowing how to like put over Van Damme and really knowing how to put over Olivier Grunier, uh, because in both cases, that's not who he wanted to star in those movies, Cyborg, he wrote for uh, Chuck Norris and Nemesis was written for Megan Ward. And yet in both cases, he's able to pivot and like work with what he has and really create and craft these great vehicles for action stars. Um, and I just, can you imagine a world in which Chuck Norris does Cyborg? And would you be interested in that? I would I, I would absolutely be interested in a Megan Ward nemesis. Oh, me too. But I would not actually, I would not actually be interested in a Chuck Norris cyborg because, especially if it's say, you know, one of the things that I, I noticed on the rewatch this time is uh, obviously one of the high points of the movie is the crucifixion scene. As I said, cyborg, the movie that asks, what if Jesus could just kick his way off of the cross? <laughs> um, but the way Van Damme, I mean, that scene is ridiculous in all the best Albert Pune ways. But the way Van Damme, sell, like very few actors scream as well as Van Damme does. And Pune really gets the most out of his screaming as, as the cross is breaking and he screams, Fender, you know, I'm just like, <laughs> God, this is this is a movie star making performance. And this isn't Van Damme doing it. It's Pune getting it out of Van Damme. Yeah. Chuck Norris, though, no, no, thank you for for that one. And that's not even a dig on Chuck Norris. I just, I don't, I don't think that movie is. That's a very different movie than either Slinger or Cyborg. Yeah, I mean, I'm not of a, I'm not a, a much of a Chuck Norris guy anyway. Um, he's got a, a short list of movies that I enjoy, but it's pretty short, and most of them are made for canon. To be honest, um, 
Yeah, I, I love Van Damme in this movie. Uh, I think he lends, you know, the whole thing is also meant to be sort of this weird rock opera. And he's got kind of a rock star thing, whether it's just the spiky hair or his youth that I don't think Chuck Norris would lend to this movie. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I love I, and I love that he's got like the like frosted tips in this one, the like reddish frosted tips uh, throughout it. Like he just he just looks cool in this yeah. movie. He looks like a rock star. I mean, that's the perfect, you know, and yeah. Uh, one of the things I love about this movie, of course, is that everybody's named after musical instruments like Gibson <laughs> Rickenbacker. What a great like you can't like I would retire if I made a hero and I came up with the name Gibson Rickenbacker in a rock opera post-apocalyptic martial arts spectacular. I'd fucking retire. I <laughs> like it's never going to be as good as this. And that's what kills me is that Albert Pune continues to get all this shit for like. For ideas like that, or, you know, again, he's working with a limited budget, so it opens with that matte painting that is maybe the most obvious matte painting ever committed to screen, and I love it. Like, I'm not saying that in a bad way. Um, I still think the stop-motion effect, when Pearl removes the wig, kind of all in one uh, one move of the camera, I, I think that's a, an amazing shot. I think that's so cool, but... I get that there's people who are like, oh, that's obvious stop motion. That looks like shit. So that's one of those reasons why I say, like, you kind of have to train yourself to be able to look past some of the budgetary limitations. I think people like you and me embrace that kind of stuff because we love the ingenuity of it. And we love, you know, that Albert Pune is working with limitations and yet finds a way to transcend those limitations in really creative and cool and kick-ass ways. I get that not everybody's able to see that, but I kind of wish they could. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's absolutely, I, I loved that you, you know, was it two years ago, three years ago for your birthday that you programmed Nemesis and we yeah, all watched it. Yeah. And I, I loved watching everybody have these very interesting reactions of like, what the hell is this? But then when the action goes off and you got Olivier Grenier, you know, sliding down a hill, John Woo style and stuff like that. It is, I, I I'm with you. I wish people could understand what Pune. I've, I've always argued this. I actually think when it comes to talking about movies, the degree of difficulty matters. Uh, some people believe that a $1 million budgeted movie and a $200 million budgeted movie should be graded the same. And I, I just, I can't subscribe to that yeah. because degree of difficulty matters. And yeah, maybe you don't get the best acting or the best special effects, but like that, you mentioned that Pearl Prophet scene where she's pulling her, her, you know, wig off and it looks terrific. I, like, yes, it's very obviously fake, but that doesn't matter. Just embrace how it looks. I I watched this week, speaking of, not to take derail us too much, but speaking of the Batman and the scene of the Batmobile coming through that exploding truck, you know, which is a good scene in that movie, probably my favorite scene. But I also watched Gary Daniels' Rage earlier today where he drives an actual truck through an actual <laughs> bus, you know, and, and it's it, for like the catering budget of the Batman. And and so to me, degree of difficulty does matter. If the acting's not perfect or whatever, I want to see that there's ingenuity here. And Pune is always being creative, always being inventive. 
And the handful of times he got an actual budget, I'm thinking in particular of Dangerously Close, man, he kicks out just gorgeous fucking movies. Yeah. Yeah, no, that movie is great. Um, yeah, it's it's very frustrating to see something. And again, I haven't seen the movie, so I'm going to talk shit about a movie that you brought up earlier. Um, something like Uncharted that has seemingly limitless resources, you know, and then to, to kind of phone in something that's like, okay. Um, I would much rather see somebody. I remember, uh, when I was in a band years ago with my friend, Doug, there was uh, a band. Doug's brother was friends with these guys and they were in a band called butt gravy. And he said the greatest thing about butt gravy. He said, it's great to watch them play because they're always, they always play at the edge of their abilities. And I was like, I don't know what that exactly means or what that sounds like, but I'm fascinated by that concept. And I think that's every Pune movie. Like he is always directing movies at the edge of his abilities and he continues to get better. His budgets continue to get smaller, but he's always directing at the edge of his abilities. And I would much rather watch a movie where someone is doing that than watch uncharted, which is just like, we had lots of money to throw at the screen we couldn't bother to go film in practical locations. So here's a green screen sequence, you know, um, I would much rather see a matte painting than a green screen any day. And that's just personal preference. That's not me throwing shade at green screen. Um, I just miss sort of the, the more tactile nature of Pune movies. And that's why that last shot in the slinger cut is so jarring because all of a sudden we're in front of a green screen and we're using CG to create effects. And it's so out of step with the rest of the movie. Um, lots of road to hell is shot in front of a green screen. And I, I miss the more tactile nature of a lot of his movies. Yeah, that was definitely the worst. The worst thing that happened to Pune is I think 300, uh, yeah. Scott Captain in 300 because then he realized, oh, I can just rent out a warehouse, paint it green, right, and shoot all these movies because I, I'm with you. I actually think Road to Hell is, uh, I I don't like to I, I don't like to speak ill of any Albert Pune movies because I am I am a champion, but I find Road to Hell to be pretty unwatchable. Not as unwatchable as his sequel to Sword and the Sorcerer, The Tales of the Ancient Empire. That which I, I never saw. That's Kevin Sorbo, right? So that's yeah, you can skip it. Exactly. It was back before I even knew how much Kevin Sorbo. Like I was excited for it because I was a big Hercules fan, and I didn't know at the time how much Kevin Sorbo actually sucks. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it's it's. It's it's borderline unwatchable. Um, so I always tell people, you know, stop right around sort of the Left for Dead era, Max Havoc, the Dragon era. Stop right around there. Don't don't watch his stuff after that. But up until that point, yeah, like you said, he's got a really nice tactile feel for everything he does. Uh, he he uses locations. He uses actual squibs. I'm still stuck on butt gravy, but I, <laughs> we all are. <laughs> gonna... We'll never get past it. <laughs> but, but yeah, playing at the edge of your, ta- that is, that is like literally Albert Fee mantra, right? Playing at the edge of your talent. That is literally every movie he's ever made cut his budget. He's just going to try and push harder right. and he's going to get weirder. 
you know, you cut his budget, he's going to go, okay, fine. I'm just going to get weird then because I don't have the budget to make a movie that actually makes any sense. So let me just get weird. You know, let me just reuse a bunch of footage from a previous movie or let me have Kathy Ireland talk with this weird nasal voice or whatever <laughs> he does. But he's always there. He's always present. He's always doing it. And and that's the thing. Like Cyborg has no business being as good as it is, given it's troubled production. You right. Know, can't basically saying we got to recruit this Masters of the Universe sequel budget somehow. You know, how on earth is this movie as good as it is, given all of that? What fucking version of Masters of the Universe 2, or better yet, Spider-Man, would have looked anything like Cyborg? What sets and costumes are they talking about? I I cannot figure it out. I, like, like, first of all, we're not dealing with a lot of sets here. We've got ultimately, like, what, like, a factory in... <laughs> right, some steel <laughs> beams. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, like... I guess there is the, the, the town, the shanty town sort of at the start. But, I mean, uh, the bulk of this movie is shot in what looks like a grain mill. You know, I mean, it's not I, – I really have no idea what sets they're talking about. But I guess, you know, I, you got to love, again, the ingenuity. Pune's like, okay, I'll make it happen. Like, you need me to get this done. I'll get it done. And he kicks out what I think is a Van Damme all-timer by doing it. Like, that the, – the, that you just don't see many directors that can do that. Right. No, absolutely. And this is, I think, a Van Damme all-timer. This is, like, probably in my top five Van Dams. It's certainly in my top five Punes. I don't know where it lands for you. So I actually wrote um, uh, Bulletproof Action a couple of years ago, did a celebration of Pune, and they asked a bunch of us action guys to, you know, submit our list, and they compiled them all together. And I ultimately... I ultimately put this, I, I wrote blurbs for each of my top five. I ultimately put this at number one. I, if I'm listening to my heart, I still think radioactive dreams is probably my favorite peon. Uh, because I just, I, I think that's, that's everything that he does at his best. Uh, but I put this number one because I think it is an all timer Van Damme movie. It's when I did my Van Damme rankings, I think I put it sixth or seventh. Um, so it just is all around everybody involved, you know, kicking in some of their best work. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit frustrating. Uh, Erica recently asked me to do like a top five pune and I know I put cyborg in there. I don't remember what else radioactive dreams was certainly in there. Nemesis was certainly in there. I'm trying to remember what else was in there. Um, but it was in a discussion of adrenaline fear, the rush. And there's another example of like, well, it's hard to talk about this movie because this isn't the movie he made. You know, this is the Weinstein's recutting the shit out of whatever it is that he made. And once upon a time when his website was a going concern, you could get director's cuts of a lot of his movies. And I'm guessing they were a lot like the Slinger cut, which is just sort of pasted together. But I'd be curious to know what the original version of Adrenaline Fear the Rush was supposed to be. Yeah, I, somebody I follow on Twitter actually has a copy of the his director's cut of Adrenaline, and they said it's it's much better. I I don't dislike Adrenaline, but it like you said, it's not the movie that he made. Right. Um, you know, I, it, you put Christopher Lambert and Natasha Henstridge in a movie, I'm going to enjoy it. I mean, Absolutely, I'm a, I'm a simple man with, with simple needs. <laughs> so, uh, but I I would love to yeah to see that director's cut because that's the thing. I think that's the other thing. No one has health issues. No one were never going to get another Albert Pune movie again. I have 
so much just sadness for the ways in which he was continually fucked over. In yes. Um, that it is, it's part of the reason I go so hard when I champion his movies is because it's like, he could have been one of the all, I mean, you watch his good ones, you watch, especially, like I said, dangerously close, or even if you can get a hold of radioactive dreams, he could have been one of the all timers. He could have been a contender. <laughs> um, and he just kept getting fucked by actors and producers and stuff like that. And so, I just I go so hard for him because I think he should be celebrated. He's an important director uh, and a unique director in a time when we're always lamenting that nobody has vision. And, you know, and that's no more apparent than it is in Cyborg. What he's able to do with that movie is so unique. And, and you could have put Sheldon Lettich directing it or Newt Arnold or some of the other directors Van Damme worked with. And we probably would have gotten a serviceable Van Damme movie. We're not going to get Vincent Clinn with his crazy eyes. Like, <laughs> Been there, you know? And, and I like this world. Yeah. Like, that's 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 what makes it. And that's the other thing I love about Pune. I love directors that have people that have a family and he yes. has a family man they show up for everything he does yeah for sure i uh, um it's so funny because one of the when i went to that uh triple feature which was like sparsely attended and was so disappointing because i would love you know it's like i don't think i realized how amazing that night was when I was there and now I look back and I'm like, God, I wish I could relive it. I wish I could go up to him again and like say something more profound because like you said, we're not going to get another movie from him. Um, one of the people that signed my cyborg poster was the editor of the movie, Roseanne Zingali. And she edited uh, a handful of his movies, including one of my favorites, vicious lips. Um, and the star of Vicious Lips came out to that screening, even though they weren't showing Vicious Lips, Vicious Lips, uh, Drew Ann Perry. And I don't think she's ever made another movie. Like, she's like an extra in one of his movies, maybe even... Ah, oh, shit, now I have to look it up. I feel like she maybe shows up in Dangerously Close or something like that, and then she's the lead of Vicious Lips. She doesn't show up in anything else. Anyway, so... I'm like, I should have got a Vicious Lips poster signed by Drew Ann Perry. Oh, she shows up in a couple of his things, including some of his more recent things like Interstellar, Civil War. Um, and she's supposed to be in Cyborg Nemesis, The Dark Rift. But she is in Dangerously Close. I was right about that. Um, so she basically only has acted in Albert Pune stuff. And she's great. And, I, you know, she should have a bigger career, but obviously wasn't interested in that. Anyway, my whole point of saying this is when I went back and reread the thing that I wrote about Cyborg several years ago, it was when we did 1989 for F This Movie Fest, um, there's two comments. The first one is from at Hibachi Justice. <laughs> hey, I know that guy. <laughs> and, the, and the second is from Roseanne Zingali <laughs> saying, like, great piece. Uh, I'm glad somebody appreciates Albert and his Puniverse or something. And I'm like, what a family he has that, like, the editor of this movie somehow finds this piece and takes the time to comment on it. I love that he has his company, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, that that carries through because I remember when, you know, a few months ago when he he disappeared and uh, oh my he was. Gosh really heartwarming to see 
on Twitter how many people were just like, all right, fucking find Albert Pune. Like, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, like, that's not nothing, right? Like, I, I've, I'm not, I'm not some big wig who knows a lot of people, but I, I, I know a handful of actors and I have certainly heard director horror stories. And there is no way that you get, how many movies has Tom Matthews been in with him? Like right. 10? You know, there's just no way you get that if you're not creating this family in this like warm family community and, and people will just show up because you're Albert, you know, like they're not going to get paid shit. They're not doing this to further their career. They're just like, it's Albert. He's making a movie. Of course we're going to show up, you right. know? Right. I mean, he's the only one that as much as I don't like road to hell, he's the only one that got a streets of fire sequel off the ground <laughs> because parades like, Oh, it's Albert. I'll, I'll, I'll be Tom Cody again for Albert. You right. know, I mean, that's, that's not nothing. And, and for what it's worth, Michael Perret is giving it his all in that movie. I think Claire Kramer's performance in that movie is really good. Like I'm with you. I don't love that movie, but it's, there's still stuff to like in it. Um, Think about you. So we're talking about, you know, this family, whether it's Tim Thomerson or whether it's Nicholas Guest or, you know, all these people that show up again and again in Albert Pune movies. Uh, we're talking about it the same week that, you know, Justin Lin drops out of Fast 10 r reportedly because Vin Diesel is such a nightmare to work with, you know. So it's like you said, it's not nothing that this filmmaker inspires such loyalty in his cast when that's not always the case in these big budget Hollywood movies. No, no. And you know, and they just, they've announced today that Louis Leterrier is, is taking over that. And, and it, I mean, I, that's actually, right. it's a smart <laughs> choice. Leterrier is a good company, man. He'll get out of the way. Let the second unit do all their work. I mean, if, if what universal wants is to just finish the damn movie so that they can be done with Vin Diesel, Leterrier uh, <laughs> is a great choice for it. But yeah, again, that's the thing. You got people flipping out over all these Fast and Furious movies, and it's like you got a star in those movies allegedly running directors off and running other major stars of the franchise off. Right, yeah. Um, you know, you, you do wonder how much Paul Walker kept everything in check because certainly his loss uh, has irrevocably shattered that series, in my opinion. Um and then here you got Albert Pune making movies for, you know, two pizzas, a six pack of beer and five bucks. <laughs> and he's got people dropping everything to show, you know, like, yeah. yeah, you got Vincent Klin and all of them. You got Yuji Okamoto showing up all the time. Um, I mean, it's just everybody wants to come back and work with him. And I love that. That makes me so happy. Every time I see one of his regulars show up in a movie, I get I get so excited because I'm just like, yeah, these guys just love Albert. And and that contrast that with Vin Diesel, where people, it seems like, can't, you know, get far enough away from him. I don't care that his movies are weird or incoherent or stuff like that. They they make me happy. They fill my heart with warmth. Yeah. Uh, and I wish more movies were like that. And I wish more filmmakers were like that. And I wish we were better at celebrating them when they are. Yeah, it's uh, the, when he went missing for it was only you know a couple hours. Ultimately, um, I went into a panic because even though I've done my best 
to celebrate him while he's alive, I immediately felt like, oh my God, like I didn't do enough, you know, to like let him know how beloved he is by some of us. Uh, and I hope that somewhere he knows that and, 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 uh, that that means something, you know? Oh, I do know. I don't know if you saw, but he did, uh, post on Facebook after he was found that, you know, he saw the outpouring. And then also, I don't know if you remember, but there was a, it was maybe a couple months ago. There was a night where a bunch of us on action, quote unquote, action Twitter, um, just kind of spur of the moment decided we were all going to watch nemesis it was completely organic and apparently it made its way to him oh nice that we were all watching nemesis and loving it and he posted on facebook that he was he was he loved filling the love and he was so happy that everybody was was enjoying watching nemesis oh well that's very cool because uh, you know again that was another one that like he kind of got fucked over on. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's the no. story of his career. And that is, I'm so glad you said that because that is, I totally identify with that in terms of like one of the reasons why I have embraced him the way that I have, one of the reasons that he has become one of my guys is for that same reason because he's just, he's such an underdog. Uh, and that's, you know, it's one of the reasons Toby Hooper is like my main guy because like Toby Hooper just got fucked over again and yeah, again in his career. Yeah, speaking of directors that got fucked over time and time again, absolutely. Yeah, and so there's going to be a soft spot in my heart for filmmakers like that who persevere, who continue to make interesting, you know, I think pretty fantastic movies despite always being up against the wall. And and Pune is certainly, he certainly fits that bill. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that that's... You know, that that I mean, I feel like that's kind of, you know, sort of one of the first things that you and I sort of started bonding over on Twitter was just how much we love him. Because and I, I want people to understand, like, this is not an ironic love. When I talk about loving Albert Pune, I'm not being ironic. I don't think his movies are so bad. They're good or, nope. or anything like that. Like, this is a pure from my soul love i i will recognize the weaknesses in his filmmaking style and stuff like that i'll be happy to you know acknowledge those but this is this is not ironic i think he's a i think he's a, a unique one-of-a-kind director he's an iconoclast he's a fucking madman <laughs> uh, who spent a good portion of his career i think trying to kill his actors and i love him for it you know uh i just can't I can't not be down with that. I, everything about him, I love. Um, I don't know if you remember your your top five from when you did it, but do you do you have a top five that you can rattle off before we wrap up? Yeah, yeah. So I would I would go I would go again. Listening to my heart, I'd go Radioactive Dreams one, Cyborg two, uh, Nemesis three. Uh, dangerously close for, and then uh, Heat Seeker five, and and Heat Seeker's one that that is kind of special to me because I was a, I still am a big fan of Keith Cook. Uh, he's one of the greatest martial arts like actors and martial artists of all time, and he never he never got the chance to really be as big as he should have been. But again, going back to Pune hooking people up, you watch Keith Cook and Gary Daniels in that movie. Pune makes them both look like friggin' superheroes in that movie. Like he just hooks both of them up. Um so that would be my top five, but certainly I have a I have a whole lot more that I could I could speak highly of. How about you? 
Oh shit! Um, I literally wasn't. Did you not think I was gonna ask you? I did. I Um. All right. So I will. Th- I think. Oh shit! Okay, I'm gonna put Nemesis first because I just think it's such a. I think it's such a good blend of like a movie that's almost commercial and then still a total Albert Pune movie. Um. Radioactive Dreams second, Cyborg third. Uh, shit. Uh, maybe Brain Smasher fourth, and then maybe Vicious Lips fifth. Which is a crazy choice, I recognize, but I just can't get over how much I love Vicious Lips. I like Vicious Lips a lot. I yeah. I, I think it it bogs down in the middle as a lot. Oh, of big time! Know. Yes. Right. But you know that's what's funny about doing this top five is we both left off friggin' Mean Guns and Kickboxer too. Like, yeah. Right. That's, exactly. That's how many bangers he's got. Is like most directors mean most low budget directors. Mean Guns is your number one, 100%. And I didn't even think about putting it in the top five, even though I love it. I mean, I think it's tremendous. But, like, he's just got banger after banger, man. Yeah, I left off Doll Man, which I really enjoy, you know, and that's him working with my beloved Full Moon. Um, I'm less enamored with Arcade, even though I think it's really interesting. Um, I fucking love... Oh my god, what's the one with the rocket powered wheelchair? Um uh Rucker Hauer in the rocket powered wheelchair. Oh, Blast. Blast, yes, thank Blast. you. Blast, I love Blast. Blast is amazing. Blast is so much fun. You know, we could easily make another top 5 of alternates with like movies that are just as much fun. Yeah, cuz I'm scrolling through I didn't even Knights is great. Knights is his wuxia movie like right? that um I have a uh, bootleg know, I... of Knights that's not, like, in the greatest condition. That's the only way I've seen it. Uh, again, I think seeing some of these movies properly restored would change my estimation of them. I, I agree. I agree. One one that I like that I think is, is a bit interesting that gets overlooked a lot is uh, 1997. He made one with Carrie Lowell called Down Twisted. Yeah. It's uh, kind of a... You know, not a full-blown action movie, more of like a little crime movie that I think is uh, is I haven't seen it in years, but I remember thinking it's 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 a lot of fun. It's it's a really enjoyable watch. It was streaming on Amazon Prime for a couple of years under an alternate title, and I don't remember the alternate title, but that was the last time I saw it. Um, do they list the alternate title on IMDb? Son of a bitch! I don't think they do. It doesn't look like it. Yeah. Like I- area it doesn't look like it um well and that's the other thing again with his movies getting so screwed is you know the rights are all messed up for so many of them um and his really good ones because he also has an incredible ear so a lot of his really good ones have incredible soundtracks like radioactive dreams and they get held up by music rights which is why you don't get get good stuff um yeah i just the other day i heard blood and roses on the radio and i can't hear that song without thinking of uh uh, whatchamacallit. Oh my God, it's late for me. Um, 
because now I'm dangerously close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to I was trying to remember. I'm like, well, when is it in? Because I do admit that the music in Dangerously Close and Radioactive Dreams sometimes blend over because they're so close in like soundtracks. Yes, um, and he uh, was making them around the same time. And yeah, that man, that '80s run though is like untouchable. Yeah, yeah. I know. I I I. I I was gonna say I feel bad because we I feel like we didn't talk a ton about actually cyber. <laughs> we right? didn't. But who cares? I mean, the whole point was to talk about. I I wanted you to talk about cyborg because I wanted Pune, and then you asked me right. beyond. Like I, we're gonna just gonna end up talking about Pune. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, which is uh, good. And again, I hope uh, we've we've given people some recommendations, some movies to seek out. Uh, some of these are available on Blu-ray, like. Um, Ticker, not Jesus, not Ticker. <laughs> ticker is not on Blu-ray. I even like Ticker. I don't. I'm not. I know he had a horrible experience on that. But Blast is available uh, from MVD. Um, Crazy Six is on Blu-ray, which I don't totally love. Crazy Six. I think it's worth seeing. Um, but some it's of got these... an interesting Rob Lowe performance. I think it's interesting to see Rob Lowe try and be a gruff, you know, like right. tough guy. Um. But some of these, like Mean Guns and like uh, uh, Radioactive Dreams, like desperately need a good Blu-ray because I think it would really change how people feel about those movies. Yeah, yeah. You know, one I've, I've noticed uh, is a lot of people have really reevaluated not just Nemesis, but the entire Nemesis series because of that MVD set. Yeah. They out. And uh, it does make a difference when you're not watching these in like third generation VHS dubs. And right. so I, I'm with you. I, I And MVD has done a good job of putting out Pune stuff and Shout has as well. Because, yeah, Dangerously Close has a pretty terrific looking Blu-ray from, yeah. from Shout. So. Uh, but yeah, uh, Shout Factory, Vinegar Syndrome, Kino, I don't care who, uh, Radioactive Dreams, guys. Come on, get on it. Get, get on it. I never thought we'd put see a, a 4K of Sword and the Sorcerer, so it is possible. Yeah. You put out Alien from L.A. Give me Radioactive <laughs> Right? <laughs> um, well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show and geeking out about Albert Pune with me. Um, where can people find more of your stuff? So you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Hibachi Justice. You can find Action for Everyone on Twitter at A4E Podcast. That's the letter A, the number four, the letter E podcast. You can find the podcast on uh, basically any podcast app of choice. We are everywhere. Um, we technically have an Instagram, but I don't use it because I fucking hate Instagram. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't. If this movie has an Instagram, I'm just like, I don't know what to put on there. Like a picture of the movie we talked about. I don't know how to use it the right way. So we don't really yeah, use ours either. That's the problem. I, I, I like Twitter because I like that. I can text, I can, I can put words in with Instagram. You've got to tie it all to a picture. Right. And it just is a pain in the ass. So I, I never use it. So Twitter is the best place to find us. And then obviously, you know, please check out the show. Um, and you know, and you'll always find me hanging out on anything that you guys do here, like F this movie faster, gearing up for June exploitation this year. So, Oh my gosh, uh, it's less than a month away. It's less than a month away. <laughs> uh, we should do an Albert Pune day this year. I would totally be down with that. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. I do want to thank you last year doing a Scott Adkins day and letting me write that Scott Adkins article for it. So no, I, that was I, awesome. Thank you for doing that. I do really appreciate that. Yeah. 
Uh, new episodes of Action for Everyone come out generally on Sundays, right? Correct. Unless unless uh, something goes wrong, uh, they they ninety seven percent of the time they come out on Sundays. We record in the morning. I barely do any editing and turn around. <laughs> I love that turnaround. Yep, yep, and then turn around quickly. So yeah, Sundays is when you can usually find us. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. This was a true pleasure. Thank you, sir. It was for me, too. I appreciate it. We will talk to you guys next week. Thanks again, Michael. Thanks. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.